From Green Biz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from Green Biz events. I'm Joel McCower. It's going to be a constant balance that I think all utilities are going to face around what we're all seeing as, as an acceleration of events that in the past almost never happened. And they're now occurring on a much more regular basis. That was Colton Ching, Senior Vice President of Planning and Technology at Hawaiian Electric. He sat down with Sienna Rogers, the Director of Corporate Strategy Integration from PG&E, along with Brian Spock, the Leader of Grids and Renewable Integration Research at the Australian Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization. As they talked with GreenBiz Senior Analyst Paul Karp, the topic what a renewable distributed grid looks like, and the issues utilities are seeing arise from climate change. Let's listen in. It's a pleasure to follow such a prestigious panel here. And after a conversation about local and state energy and transportation topics, we're now going to move to a more global conversation where we're going to talk about what's happening here in Hawaii, uh, look at uh, examples from California and Australia. So with that, I'd like to welcome our panelists, uh, Brian Spack from CSIRO, Sienna Rogers from Pacific Gas and Electric, and Colton Ching from Hawaiian Electric. Please have a seat, thank you. So I'd like to start first with you, Colton. Uh, as Senior Vice President of Planning and Technology here at Hawaiian Electric, you have a lot on your plate these days, uh, one of which is the grid modernization strategy. Um, tell us a bit about the plan and uh, how is it going to help you address the 100% renewable portfolio standard here in Hawaii? Yeah, sure, Paul. Uh, so the grid modernization strategy is a strategy that we developed last year in 2017, uh, received PUC approval earlier this year. And the strategy was built around ask, answering the question of what, the, what grid do we need to have in order to fulfill the requirements of our system, meet the expectations and needs of our customers and stakeholders, and ultimately fulfill these broad objectives that we have, including achieving our state renewable policy goals. And so fundamentally, our grid isn't just around the more typical utility reliability uh, objectives, but really founded on how do we create our, our, a grid and a system that allows for both the combination of large grid-scale renewables as well as distributed systems, including storage, including electric vehicles, collectively that where you put all of these pieces together, we can actually achieve our, our broad energy goals for the state. And so why is it critical to have an integrated approach across energy, transportation, planning, and procurement? Yeah, it's, it's critical for, for many reasons. I'll highlight a couple. One is because we're an island system. Um, things impact in a, us in a way different from most electric, larger electric systems. And so what we choose to do on our distribution system, say in adoption of a strategy to integrate distributed renewables, really the great value of distributed systems isn't just only limited to what value it provides at the distribution level, it's really what value provides at the transmission level and in total at the total generation portfolio. And if you fail to look at that question on an integrated basis, you lose opportunities to, to really take the multiple benefits 
that a distributed renewable resource can have. And that's just one example, right? It works the other way down as well and from a generation down to the distribution level. So very, very uh, important to look at it broadly like that on an integrated basis. We also feel that it's looking forward as we plan into our future to also integrate uh, procurement really for the intent of speed, right? We need to move very, very quickly and as a coordinated and deliberate uh, way that we can. And our, our most recent proposal in integrated grid planning is to actually combine the planning process for your generation portfolio, your transmission, and your distribution system. Combine that with procurement for resources so you can actually get real options for generation to add to your portfolio using real costs, real data, real options, and integrate that into your plan. And then look at opportunities for some of these newer technologies to be substitutes for some of the more traditional solutions. So rather than building a new distribution line or a new distribution transformer, uh, can distributed resources at a customer's home uh, fulfill the same operational requirements and be a non-wires alternative to a traditional distribution or transmission option. And we're able to, we believe, able to do those kinds of solutions and actually implement those solutions faster by integrating both procurement and planning into one combined step. So Sienna, let's turn to you. Uh, first of all, welcome back to Hawaii. This is a bit of a homecoming for you as you grew up on the Big Island. So are you watching what's happening in Hawaii and uh, how are you paying attention based on the, you know, the, the policy initiatives here and just based on the, challenge, the challenges facing Hawaii? Thanks, Paul. Um, I'm really excited to be here. It's, it's been um, many years since uh, I left to, for college and, and to come back and be able to be here talking about energy. And um, of course, I've been watching Hawaii quite closely because listening to Colton, it's very clear there's so many parallels um, in terms of the challenges that we're facing in California and in Hawaii. And uh, luckily or, or unluckily, a lot of the challenges seem to come, crop up here in Hawaii first. And so uh, learning some lessons um, and hopefully there's some, some sharing in both directions. Um, but I think some of the commonality is really in the, the customer bases that we both serve. And they're very progressive and, and um, uh, wanting to sort of do their part. And uh, so we, we are um, working to try to figure out how to um, partner with our customers and, and do the things that Colton was just talking about in terms of figuring out how to, how to sort of balance sort of all of the demands of our system and try to meet those really lofty um, goals around environmental, um, uh, the environmental goals that California has been setting. And, um, and uh, so we have a long way to go. And one of the things we do typically in the in industry, the utility industry, is um, we uniquely are, are willing to kind of share and. Uh, share best practices with each other. Um, and so there's a lot of opportunity that, and, and sharing that's gone on um, before today, um, certainly. So. And Sienna, you're focused on uh, corporate strategy at PG&E, and I know previously you worked in energy, energy procurement. And um, I think earlier this year, you announced that PG&E hit its 2020 uh, uh, renewable energy goals three years ahead of schedule. So to what do you attribute that, and where is PG&E going moving forward? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. We are super proud of that. I think um, it's interesting um, earlier, uh, the discussion about sort of 10 years ago um, for Hawaii, 10 years ago when, um, kind of when I look back at what we were doing um, at PG&E was really putting a ton of effort around 
looking to really build out first of their kind in terms of size and scale of renewables to meet this really ambitious goal that California set for itself of 33% uh, by 2020. And at that time, there was a lot of concern about whether or not we'd be able to make that goal. Um, and the, you know, there are a number of reasons why we've met it um, and uh, met it three years early, which we're immensely proud of, um, but it was a team effort, if you will. Um, we worked really hard to kind of work with developers to um, and co sign contracts. We signed um, 13,000 megawatts overall. We have 7,000 megawatts of active co um, contracts today. Um, and at that time, we really didn't know, um, because it, a lot of it was first of its kind, kind of when those contracts would come online and if we would be able to make it. But luckily, through partnership with government and uh, third parties that we, the developers um, and uh, hard work for the, of the people, my coworkers, in terms of kind of bringing them online, uh, we were able to successfully get there. Um, in addition, so last year, um, we were, 33% uh, renewable, but that combined with the rest of our portfolio meant almost 80% of our the energy we delivered was actually greenhouse gas free, which was another incredible milestone that kind of gets lost in that 33% that one. So I want to highlight that. And the other thing that um, in addition to kind of the effort and the portfolio that, that we've been able to develop over time, um, a big shift that's happened in the last 10 years is that um, the load that we are um, serving has, has, um, is much more dynamic than it was um, and what we anticipated in uh, 10 years ago. So we have seen a lot of adoption of solar, um, private solar um, on rooftop. Um, and that has meant, uh, you know, that has helped us meet the goal earlier, as well as um, something in, um, that happened um, over the last few years is um, a lot of communities in our service territory have decided to procure energy on behalf of their local constituents. And so that has meant uh, a shift in the load that we serve. And so we're dealing with a, a much more um, diverse set of uh, stakeholders and, um, and uh, we have a lot more help in meeting that goal with those other communities. Great, thank you. So Brian, let's turn it over to you. Um, people in the audience may be expecting an Australian accent, but you actually spent time in the Northwest, uh, Portland General Electric, uh, and you're focused on grid integration challenges at, at CSIRO. Can you tell us about the state of the market in Australia and the, and the, and the work that you're doing? Sure. Um, thank you. Yeah, I'm from Pittsburgh, so I could give you a Pittsburgh accent, uh, but that's, that's uh, only slightly less exciting than the Australian accent. Um, so Australia is a wonderful place. Uh, my background is I've I've worked in sustainability and clean energy for you know 15 years, and I'm a big believer in in distributed energy and the solutions um, that it that it can bring to to solve the problems that we're we've been talking about today. And there's no place um, like Australia, except for maybe Hawaii where distributed energy um, is part of the solution. So one in four homes in nationally in Australia have rooftop solar today. Um, in two, two of the six states in Australia, it's one in three homes. And there's many zip codes uh, in Australia where you know more than 50% of the load is renewable. So um, my group at CSIRO, and CSIRO is a, the national research agency. There's not really a great American analogy for it. It's kind of like the National Renewable Energy Lab mixed with NASA. Um, but we... Uh, that's because we do everything. We do space and uh, agriculture. So actually, um, CSIRO scientists developed Wi-Fi 
uh, which uh, w which I was using today. Uh, <laughs> so, um, one of the things that we focus a lot on, is, or one of the goals for my group, is 100% renewable energy at 50% of the cost. Right. And so, we set that goal because we had done a roadmap exercise for all of Australia that found by 2050 we can get to 100% renewables at 90% of the cost of a 67% business as usual scenario. So we actually found it was a lot cheaper for folks if we went to 100% renewables by 2050. Um, but can we make it dramatically cheaper and can we do it faster? Um, and so as a research organization, that's, um, that's the challenge that we're focused on today. Great, thank you. So Colton, let's go back to you. And one of the themes of the event here is around resilience. We've heard a lot of talk about that. In light of the, uh, the volcano, Kilauea volcano, uh, flooding in Kauai, uh, flooding in Honolulu, um, is the grid modernization strategy gonna roll out fast enough? And uh, what can we do to prevent situations, situations like that from happening in the future? Yeah, um, very sort of relevant to, to today's news, Paul. Um, you know, it's, it's gonna be a constant balance that I think all utilities are gonna face around what we're all seeing as as an acceleration of events that in the past almost never happened. And they're now occurring on a much more regular basis. Um, so we need to re be responsive to that shift that's happening in how we plan and build and, and operate our electric systems. Um, but I wanna be a little bit cautious that I think we need to balance that with um, sort of this recognition that we only know what we know. And there's a lot of uncertainty as we face the future. Uh, and so we're trying to uh, balance uh, investments today that minimizes the cost that our customers have to pay to do things like improve reliability and resiliency of our electric system for the near term. And balance that with the fact that around the corner are gonna be new technologies and new solutions and new partners that are gonna help us get there better, perhaps even faster for the long term, uh, and potentially at, at costs even lower than what we would be able to do with just today's technologies and today's solutions. So it's always going to be a balance between the two. There's no sort of, sort of linear, absolute answer to that. Um, but the issue of that be behind your question is real. Right? Part of what we need to do as we look at what our grid needs to do in our future, and we heard it very strongly from our customers and our stakeholders that we interviewed with when we developed our strategies, the importance of reliable electric power. Right? On a normal day-to-day -day basis, we take it for granted right? for, for everything that we do, but electric power becomes even more important as a community or as an island faces a natural disaster or an emergency. And there, you only need to look at the few recent ones that we've experienced in the US as, as good examples of that. And that's why as part of what we're looking to do in the future, you know, more than just in our grid modernization strategy, but more broadly around our entire uh, system, is to find ways and opportunities to get to first, where we can achieve sort of positive benefits and value on our day-to-day -day business, but do it in a way that if we are to experience some sort of event, a natural disaster, man-made event, that we have an electric system that's better equipped to deal with it. And I can think of no better example that, than what we've done recently with our Schofield Generating Station project, 
where in partnership uh, with, with the Army, we built a utility generator that's renewable capable that on every normal day, and it's probably gonna be dispatched today, helps to run the electric grid for the entire island of Oahu. And in particular, because of its quick start nature, can really help us with the integration of other renewables on the system, including solar and wind that we have, plus the solar and wind that we're looking to add in the future. But if we were to have some event, uh, unfortunate event on our island, this generator is located within Schofield Barracks on the Army base in a protected space. It's able to power up Schofield Barracks and Wheeler Air Base and portions of the surrounding Wahiawa community in a microgrid, providing full electric service in the area, right? And an area that has the only airfield on this island that's not 10 feet away from a shore, right? That is more resilient to natural events that can help tremendously uh, with our island's recovery from a storm. And so we wanna look for those multiple uh, benefit opportunities more so in the future. Great, I do wanna make sure we have time for the sidebar. So Elaine, get ready for a question from the audience here. And uh, Sienna, I do wanna uh, turn to you though, because resilience is top of mind as well for PG&E, especially given the, the fires in the North Bay this past October. So PG&E's rolled out a set of resilience efforts. Um, how is this topic morphing in PG&E's uh, strategy as well? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Obviously, um, there were some very tragic events um, across California, and particularly in, in our service territory last um, last fall. And uh, we were we are going to be um, investing a lot in thinking through how we can be more resilient um, in light of what we believe is the new normal for us and for many other jurisdictions. I think, you know, when you think about all that happened in the last year, so much of, of kind of the natural disasters that, that we saw and kind of brings to fore that sort of that reliance on the electric grid that, that we have, we have to figure out a way to really partner with our communities to figure out the right solutions in terms of you know being prepared for what we know is going to come again and again, um, you know droughts are 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 part of our new normal, um, um, unusual wind events, and and really leveraging the technologies that are out there today, and really pushing our partners um, and technology developers to come up with even more innovative solutions and help us anticipate what we we can't really anticipate based on looking at what has happened in the past. Um, you know, going forward is going to be different and we have to come up with new and unique solutions. And I think, you know, your example of the Schofield Barracks is a, um, a similar kind of concept of one of the things that we're gonna be uh, really exploring um, in the North Bay and across our service territory is kind of partnering with communities and coming up with plans for um, being, giving those communities the tools they can, they need to be um, the operations and, and recovery and resource centers when natural disasters um, happen. And uh, that involves things like microgrids and, and islanding and doing that in a way that, you know, really partners with the communities to understand what the right plan is for the emergencies we know are going to be happening. Okay, so, great. so Elaine, I think we do have time for one question from the sidebar. So, can you hear me? Cool. So, although none of you are policymakers, um, you all are beholden to regulations and or policies. Um, so what kind of policies would, would help your respective markets accelerate toward a more decarbonized digital and uh, um, distributed system? Brian, you want to start with that? 
Sure. So, um, so Australia is a really unique, um, or a somewhat unique electricity market, um, different than Hawaii and California, uh, similar to Texas actually, in that the the value chain is all disaggregated right now. So there's generation companies that are divorced from the poles and wires network companies that are different from the retailers who sell your electricity and and uh, give you a bill. Um, so that actually, so that makes certain things easier, um, but we actually have a relatively immature wholesale electricity market. So um, one of the things um, that's coming up in this space a lot is um, the technology is here today, but the market, the markets that exist are 20th century markets. And so we need innovation and new policy around markets that, f that sort of allow the technology to flourish. Okay. So Sienna, uh, we, we're running low on time, so put on your policymaker hat for a minute. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the, the thing in California in particular right now is really um, how do we make sure the policies we have in place are working together? And I, I think that my short answer is how do we kind of re commit to those policies we have in place and make sure they are sort of working together towards that sort of broader, longer-term objective of um, greenhouse gas reduction and uh, and helping the climate. Okay, Colton, you want to take us home? Sure. Uh, building upon the, the panel just prior to us, uh, I think policies that <clears throat> look broadly across different sectors and different industries and develops policies around how they work together towards achieving state goals, like say what can be done in the energy space and transportation together as a set of policies, I think that would be very helpful to really stimulate and accelerate the very discussion around how do you get these mutual benefits. Great, so take an integrated approach. Great, well with that, please join me in thanking Colton, Sienna, and Brian. You've been listening to Colton Jing, Sienna Rogers, Brian Spock, and Paul Karp in conversation at the Verge Hawaii Conference in June 2018. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash centerstage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening. <laughs>